we have no reason to doubt that you've answered us. So we're here to thank you. For we are going to see a manifestation of the answers to all our prayers concerning tonight. Blessed be thy name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we study in the book of Ephesians. We try to go to chapters 3 and 4. The book of Ephesians, the chapters are not too long. So uh, we are going to see, uh, make sure that we go through chapters 3 to 4. Now, because we've had a long break between our study of chapter 2 and this chapter 3, you remember because we had Living World Conference, <clears throat> we need to remind ourselves of some points we discussed in chapter 2 so that there will be continuity in trend of understanding uh, in what we are trying to teach in this book of Ephesians. So let's go and take a look, a very quick look at chapter 2 and refresh our memory so that as we go to chapter 3, chapter 4, you'll be able to flow along. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 2. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He's the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. Verse 3, all of us used to live that way, all of us, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else, verse 4. But God is so rich in mercy. God is so rich in mercy. You need to underline that line. God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much. What did he do? That even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life because of his mercy. He gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by grace, God's grace, that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realm because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all the future ages as examples of the incredible work of his grace and kindness. And the kindness is the quality of being generous. His kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ. Then verse 8 brings us some dimension. You know, he began to tell us about what we were before. By nature, we were children of, uh, we were sinful. And we're under the control of demonic spirits. We are really uh, subject to God's anger. But because of his grace, which manifests in mercy, because of his mercy, you cannot study these things and be preaching anything else when you talk of the gospel apart from the grace of God. He says it is mercy. Reach in mercy. Because of that, he did all of this that we read here, that because of that, he gave us life. While we didn't even know him, he already made provision to, for life for us in Christ Jesus. And he made provision that when we come to Christ and get accepted, I will accept Christ, that we get united with him, that we are, all these provisions become ours automatically. You don't have to beg for it. You don't have to ask for it. You don't have to ask for forgiveness to have it. It's already provided because of his mercy. Already. 
He said verse 7, so that he can now point to us in future ages as examples of the incredible weight of his grace. Grace is giving you what you don't merit. Incredible, you can't say, if you say because I did this, that's why I have this. Then that's what, that's the reason, that's what gives you the merit. But here there's no merit at all. There's no single merit at all. So he says, so God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible worth of his grace and kindness. Like I said, kindness is the quality of being generous. Towards us, as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. Verse 8, God saved you by his grace. Continue to emphasize this. Continue to emphasize this. God saved you by his grace when you believed. Action word is you believed. You got saved as an act of grace manifesting his mercy. And you can't take credit for this in any way. You can't say it's because I asked for this, because I, no. You just came and believed. It is a gift from God. Nine, salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done so. None of us can boast about it. There's nothing. You can point to and say, this is what I did for God to accept me. Except you came to accept the Lord Jesus Christ. You believed in him. And then you were accepted by God. Then it brought another awesome verse here in verse 10. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can now do the good things he planned for us long ago uh, to do. Remember that what we read is we were by nature sinful. So we couldn't do the things that God planned in that nature. So when we came to Christ, God created us anew in Christ Jesus. He gave us a new life. Because of this new life now, and he took away the old life, which was sinful, and gave us his new life, which is righteous and holy. And because of this new life we have, we can now do the good things he planned for us long ago uh, in Christ Jesus. So in verse 11, the Paul began to unfold further special message for the Gentiles. This is the gospel that is explaining for everybody. Verse 11, don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens. That's what we are called, uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. That circumcision they were doing is not the same that we have in Christ where your old nature was circumcised. Say that circumcision was just the flesh. It's in Christ that you, your old nature is cut off. You have a circumcision not made with hand. The real circumcision of the spirit. So it's even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. And you did not know the covenant promises God had made them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. This is, Paul is reminding we Gentiles what our situation was. Because he was an apostle to the Gentiles. Trying to show the Gentiles, this is what you were before too. You didn't know, you didn't have any relationship with God at all. The Jews had a covenant with God. We didn't have nothing. Absolutely nothing. They had a covenant with God. 
we didn't have. And let me remind us, <laughs> one of the key things that God promised Abraham and promised Jesus, that through this, all nations will be blessed, will assess his blessings. Let's go back to Galatians chapter 3, verse 5. I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? So of course not. It is because you believe, again, the word believe, you believe the message you heard about Christ. That's all. In the same way, Abraham believed God. And God counted him as righteous because of his faith. The real children of Abraham then are those who put their faith in God. Who, what's more, the scripture looks forward to this time. When God, will, when God will declare the Gentiles to be righteous, declare us righteous. Remember I said, we didn't have God, we didn't have Christ, we, didn't have, we are not even part of the covenant with God. But God will declare us now righteous for one reason. Because of our faith, we Gentiles. God declared Abraham righteous because of his faith. And said to him, to you and your seed that I'm going to bless through you. Everybody who also exercises faith like you did, I will declare him righteous. God was talking about how all nations are going to be accepted by him only by faith in Christ Jesus. So he says in verse, let me read that, verse 7. The real children of Abraham then are those who put their faith in God. What is more? The scripture looked forward to this time when God would declare the Gentiles to be righteous because of their faith. God proclaimed this good news to Abraham long ago when he said, all nations will be blessed through you. All nations will be blessed through you. So that all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. What was the blessing Abraham received? God counted him righteous. So everybody who puts his faith in Christ, God counts him also righteous in right standing with him, acceptable to him. So all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. That's thing. But those who depend now, there are people who will not accept it, who want to walk to and earn God's righteousness. Verse 10, this is for you. But those who depend on the Lord to make them right with God are under his curse. Not under the blessing of Abraham. They're under his curse. The people who are under the blessing are those who put their faith in Christ alone. But those who want to walk themselves to divine contention, who want to walk and be accepted by their works, the Bible says, verse 10 is for you. That's your own version. But those who depend on the Lord to make them right with God are under his curse. For the scripture says, curse is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commandments that are written in God's book of the law, verse 11. So it is now clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law because nobody obeys everything. For the scripture says, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. So that's what Paul was talking to the Gentiles and said, you people know that you didn't have any relationship with God. You didn't have Christ. You were hopeless. You were not in any covenant at all. He said, don't forget that. Don't forget, you didn't know about the promises of God. But this is the, what is now telling them that this promise God made to Abraham now, 
Because Christ has come. Christ has died. You can now put your faith in Christ and receive the same blessing that the Jews have, that Abraham had. So now the Gentiles have the privilege of being sons of God and heirs of his promise. Verse 13. We're still going through chapter 2. So that when we go to chapter 3, you can follow. Verse 13. But now you have been united with Christ. He's talking about we Gentiles who have come to Christ. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through his blood, through that sacrifice. He brought us near to him through his blood, the blood of Christ for them. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united now the Jews, Gentiles into one people. When in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. Remember, that God's covenant was with the Jews only. It was with the Jews before Christ came. They were, the, the Bible described them as the sheep of Israel. Ah, the lost sheep of Israel. They were the sheep of Israel. It was, it was in a covenant God had with them. They were the people that God brought out of Egypt and they established a covenant with them. They had no covenant with the Gentiles. Actually, they were not supposed to marry from the Gentiles. Remember that Paul went to Cornelius and said, you know how, according to law, we are not even supposed to enter your house or eat with you. So the Bible said that hostility that separated us, when Christ came, he broke it. He took it away. Why? Verse 15. He did this by ending that system of law with his commandments and regulations. He made peace now because that law that says you should not eat with Gentiles, it should, should not marry from Gentile nations because they'll corrupt you. And he said that all that law, all that system, all that commandment, all that commandment under Moses that God gave Israel, Jesus set it apart and offered all nations the way to God by faith in him. Whether you're a Jew, whether you're a Gentile, once you come to Christ, once you put your faith in Christ, God counts you righteous. So he made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from two groups. What is one new people? If any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. All of us, once you come to Christ, you're a new creature. One new people. In this being new creature, you're not a Jew, you're not a Gentile. You are only children of God. I will have one family, the family of God. So in verse 16, together as one body, Christ reconciled the sinner, both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility towards each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him. And peace to Jews who were near, who had covenant with him. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. And then he says, verse 19, we are now members of God's family, all of us. Jews, Gentiles who come to Christ. We are members of God's family. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, in Christ, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling, this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. That's chapter 2. So now we can go to chapter 3. Because now we can understand 
how we are flowing. So now in chapter 3, Paul opened up verses 1, verse 1 in chapter 3. He says, when I think of all of this, all these things we've been talking about in in chapter 2, chapter 1, and even some of the things he's still going to talk about in chapter 3, he said, when I think of all of this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the benefit of you Gentiles. Let's talk about this word he used, that is a prisoner of Jesus. He calls himself, in uh, King James Version, he says, I'm a slave of Christ. I'm a slave of Christ. I'm a prisoner of Christ. I am, I have no order. I don't have any other thing in this life except to do what the master says. That's what it means. King James says, a slave of Christ. I think so. Then the New Living Translation, a prisoner of Christ. For you Gentiles, I'm assigned to this work. I, it's a war is me if I don't preach the gospel. So this, this commitment to following the Lord and fulfilling his assignment to him like a slave, he has no intention of doing his own thing. He has no intention of doing his own will in this is life. But only what the master says, that's what a slave does. That's what a prisoner does. You, are, you, are, you can't get out to do what you like. You do what they tell you to do. Paul said, I, and he's not, slavery to God is not by force. It is something he gave, he did himself to out of his love to Jesus. God did not make him, he was the one that chose to commit himself to doing the will of God and following the plan of God for his life. My brothers and sisters, this is called discipleship. Every Christian must live like this. It's called being led of the Holy Spirit. For all who are sons of God are those who are led of the Holy Spirit. If you want to live the life of Christ, Christ is in you, and it's your new life. If you really want to live that new life, the way you can live it, live this life, is by following his instruction. Let me say it again. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. The Bible says so. It is imperative on every Christian not to joke with being led of the Holy Spirit. Paul said, I am committed like a slave to following Jesus. I have no will of my own. Like a prisoner, I can't decide where I'm going. I follow what the master says every day of my life. He said, I follow Christ. He said, you people follow me because I'm following him. Now, look at the example of our Lord Jesus Christ. John 5.30. This is our Lord Jesus himself. When he made himself a man, he said, I am, I'm, I am able to do nothing from myself. Do you know who can do nothing without Christ? Have we come to convince ourselves that anything we are doing that is not of God is waste of time? The scriptures say, if this be of man, it shall fall. But if it be of God, you can't bring it down. Why do we waste our time doing things that in the end will bring us trouble? Jesus said, I am able to do nothing from myself, independently of my own accord, but only as I am taught by God, 
and as I get his orders, even as I hear, I judge. This is our Lord Jesus. I decide as I am bidding to decide. As the voice comes to me, so I give a decision. I don't wake up and decide things. And my judgment is right. Why? It's just and righteous because I do not seek or consult my own will. If it's God, it has to be right. I have no desire to do what is pleasing to myself. Oh, this is why we live now. Of, oh, what to do? Pastor, if you know what they did to me, if you know what they, we have such desire to do what pleases us. And we wonder why we are frustrated. Yeah, the scripture wonders that the flesh will profit you nothing. Oh, but we'll do it. We have to do it. We don't care. You may not care. If you like, you care, I don't care. But what will it profit you? Nothing. It brings you no profit. If it's not God, you just wasted your time, your money, your everything. And moreover, you just expose yourself to demonic, demonic stuff. Because I do not seek or consult my own will. We do this without even prayer. Ask to God, do I do this? Oh, no, no, no. We know what to do. Who, who told you? I thought you're supposed to be led by him. I have no desire to do what is pleasing to myself. My own aim and my purpose. I don't have desire for that. But only the will and pleasure of the father who sent me. Paul said, I'm a slave to Christ. I have no desire. A slave don't have desire. I don't have desire for myself, not. Woe is me if I don't do what he said. And then Proverbs warned us about all of this. Trust in the Lord with all thy heart and lean not unto thy own understanding. For we are. <laughs> the Bible said, these are the ways that are right in the eyes of men, but the end thereof is the ways of death. Let me tell us the truth. You know, little drops of disobedience, little drops of self-will will lead you step by step to destruction. One day you make the one that will, that will do something to you, you can't imagine it. But it's a step at a time. A step, you get used to doing your own thing. A step at a time. A journey of a thousand miles starts with one step. When you train yourself to be leaning onto your own understanding, a step at a time, you will not know when the trap is set to destroy you. And because you are used to that, you take one more step into an abyss. Trust in the Lord with all thy heart and lean not unto thy own understanding. In all thy ways, acknowledge him all our ways. And he will not direct the path. Be not wise in thy own eyes. Fear the Lord. Depart from this evil of neglecting the Spirit of God. Depart from this evil of neglecting the Spirit of God. It shall be held to your navel, marrow to thy bones. Paul started off this by declaring himself a prisoner of Christ, a slave of Christ, 
for the benefit of the Gentiles. He's been assigned to go preach. He said, I have to, because he's my master. He's a PhD holder, scholar, well-educated, everything. But on the way to Damascus, he made Jesus. He asked one question. That question, believe you me, is a question that challenges me all the time. What will you have me do? What will you have me do? I am done doing my stuff. Now you tell me what to do. That's the question we should ask every time in any situation. What will you have me do, Lord? What do you want me to do here? It is called discipleship. It is called following Jesus. That's what it's called. Discipleship is not cramming the Bible, starting quoting it, but you won't bother about it. It won't rule your life. And when it comes to the Bible controlling you, you jettison it somewhere and just do what you like. You know, the scripture says something. It says many are called, but few are chosen. Let's, let's read that portion. It is true. Absolutely true. It's not everybody calling Lord, Lord, Lord that honors him as Lord. So Paul in verse 2 to 5 began to state the implementation of God's plan through Christ Jesus alone. Given to man by grace alone. He calls it a dispensation of grace in King James Version. Dispensation, you know, if you dispense drugs, you are giving out medicines. Dispensation is, this is a time where God's grace is profusely being dispensed to Christ. And it says that it is only by the revelation of the Holy Spirit that we understand this dispensation of grace. It looks foolish. Doesn't make sense. That's why we try to earn it. We try to do something to, because it doesn't make sense. Free. It is only by the revelation of the Holy Spirit we know this plan in Christ Jesus for you and for me and for all nations. So let me read what he said in verses 2 to 5. Now we read in chapter 3, Ephesians 3, 2 to 5. Assuming by the way, that you know God gave me the special responsibility of extending his grace to you Gentiles. Verse 3. As I remember what is extending to them, it is his grace. It is the message of grace. It is the gospel. It is the message of God. It's what Jesus did for us. Why were you sinners? Verse 3. As I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. He called it mystery. Why? Because only the Holy Spirit can reveal this plan to you. For as you read what I have written, you will now understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. This plan is regarding Christ. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about what I do. It's about Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now by his spirit he has revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. Because Christ has come and finished the work, 
So he's now revealing it to people. So people can believe and receive the benefit of it. The word revelation stands out between 3, verses 3 and 5. It's revealed. The gospel is revealed. You know, when Jesus was teaching, and the Jews began to argue, why do we eat his blood, drink his flesh, drink his blood? They were arguing, and he told them, he said, stop this argument. Exactly what he told them, he said, stop arguing. No man comes to me and says, my father draws him. You can't come. What I'm saying is true. Unless my father reveals it to you, you won't accept. You won't know what I'm talking about. He says, stop all this argument. You can't come. I tell pastors, if you are doing program so people will come to your church, you don't know what you're doing. It's an insult to God. It's called manipulation. God manipulates nobody. You don't even preach the gospel with... with um, Enticing words. You don't entice people. It's the power of the Spirit. You don't entice people. You don't draw anybody into the kingdom. You don't. Just preach the truth and get out. Don't try to befriend them, make them so they'll be forget. It's called manipulation. The Holy Spirit does not manipulate people. It is we human beings that manipulate each other. It's part of fallen nature. We always do that to <laughs> manipulation. Children try to manipulate children. parents. Parents try to manipulate children, manipulating each other, using emotions, using crying, using force, using anger, you, you know, to make people bend to you. That's falling nature. God does not do that. Jesus said, you can't come to me. He said, my father draws you. He said, he draws you. So, when 17 left his church, he turned to the other one and said, do you want to go? This, this is not political thing. You want to go, you can leave. I'm not here to pamper you, make you happy. So, no, you can go. Peter said, where are we going? You have the word of eternal life. Now, it wasn't that Peter was smart. It was the Holy Spirit that revealed to Peter that this thing you're hearing is not a regular word. It's the word of eternal life. And Peter said, where else can we go? This choice is made. We know something those 70 don't know. It's by revelation. Paul said, it is by revelation. It's not by power. It's not by might. It's not by argument. It's not by forcing people. It's not, it's not, not except the Lord opens your eye. You will not understand the gospel. It will be foolish to you. You will be, you will be, when God was teaching me, when God was telling me, look, it's my message that you are healed. I, I didn't really, for over 12 years, I didn't understand it until two weeks ago. Until two weeks ago. I'm like, oh my God, that's true. But when he shared it with me, demonstrated it for me, I still didn't get it. I didn't, I didn't have enough sense to understand it. It took up to 12 years. It was only two weeks ago that my eyes popped open and I said, oh my God, this is true. And I saw the relationship within grace and mercy and what God is doing in my life. I saw why. It is because of his mercy I'm healed. Before it was fuzzy, I didn't get it.
So Paul began to reveal the plan of God for humanity, the gospel. God has no two plans. He just one. Verse 6 to 7. And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. He said, this is the plan. Both Gentiles and Jews, once they believe the gospel, they now share in all the blessings of God, in all the blessings of God's children. Both are part of the same body. Both enjoy the promise of blessing because they belong to Christ Jesus only. That's it. It's no more because of the Jewish law. It's not because of that. It's because of Christ. The plan is in Christ. It's consummated in Christ. Verse 7. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. Verses 8 to 9. Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. Endless treasures. <laughs> people, endless. I, somebody was trying to explain this verse. He said it's like, it's like you, I don't know if, if you've seen an ocean. It's endless. He said, you stand and look at an ocean. He said, that's how the divine blessing is endless for anybody, for any Christian. That's how his mercy is endless. That's how his power is endless. That's how his grace is endless. Everything about God is endless. God has no beginning and no end. Endless. Treasures are available to them in Christ. Verse 9. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. These blessings are real. They are spiritual blessings, but they manifest in the physical world. Like Hebrews 11.3 tells us, through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made by things which do appear. These are spiritual blessings, but they create things which do appear. They become real. The Holy Spirit performs it in real life only to those who believe it. All it takes is to believe it. If you want to work for it, you won't see it. And verse 9 says something very interesting. It says, very, very interesting, verse 9. It said, I was choosing to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. So we are supposed to explain this to everyone. Every Christian must know Understand, understand this mystery and it must be taught in the body of Christ because this is God's plan for every soul and nothing else. But you won't hear it. Are you surprised that there's, there's so much confusion? So much confusion. So much failure, spiritual failure. Questions in the hearts of many. They've been doing this and doing this, and so where is God? This mystery should be explained to everyone. Every Christian must know and understand this mystery, 
And it must be, it must be taught in the body of Christ because this mystery is what gives you the endless treasures of God. That's how you enter into the experience of the endless treasures of God. But when you don't know it, you can't believe it now. You're not going to believe it. And because you need those endless treasures, you try, you try to get it every other way, except by faith. It means that preachers need to have the revelation like Paul did before they are able to preach and explain this plan that grace dispenses to all of us. Secondly, it is that so that we can now experience the reality now, like I said, for us to believe, we must know it. He says, I explain it to everyone. Why? This is God's plan for your life in Christ. That's how you enter into the endless treasures of God that meets every need of man, that lifts you from defeat to victory, that brings you where God's glory is revealed in your life. Endless treasures, people. King James wrote it like this, Ephesians 3, 8. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is the grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Unsearchable. It, there's no searching to get to an end of it. The power that healed you, the power that saved you, the power of God is limitless. It's, it's, no, it's no end to it. Verse 9, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. Which means to, to begin to, to have fellowship with somebody, is, that person becomes real to you. It's real. It's, I become conscious of it. So conscious of somebody is too, that is real is here. So that it becomes that, this, this reality of the, of, the, of the treasures and the blessings of the kingdom become real to you. So that you can experience them in real life. Because that's where it's going. It's not just words. So you experience this things in real life. And then in, the, in, in explaining the purpose of all of this, you will see actually that's why, that's why God is doing all of this. In verses 10 to 11, he begins to explain the purpose of all of this. God's purpose in all of this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Verse 11. This was his eternal plan which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. He carried it out through Jesus, not through you. It's not your rituals. It is Christ. It's not your work 2 a.m. It is in Christ, through Christ. You must know it. What makes it work? It's not you got up 5 a.m. No, no, no. It's faith. Faith. Abraham believed God. And God counted him as righteous. The God says, if you believe in Christ, I count you as righteous. I accept you. And all these blessings become yours. Simple. It's not difficult. 
Oh, but we don't want to do that. We think it's because I woke up by five. It's not because of that. Forget it. If Christ didn't die, if you like, wake up by four, you have it. This plan was consummated in Christ. Don't let substitute Christ with things we do. Unfair. And open the door to demonic spirits to come in. Because they, they, they bring all this falsehood into our lives. Stay with scripture. The endless riches are yours in Christ. That's only you believe. Once you believe in him, put your faith in him, you will not be put to shame. So he talks about the purpose is to reveal the glory of God through Christians, through you and me. To reveal his many-sided, the varieties of his wisdom displayed in this plan for all nations through the work of grace in our Lord Jesus Christ. He says it's many-sided. It means it applies to various needs of man. This plan resolves every aspect of human need that is possible, even beyond, because it's eternal. It manifests in forgiveness of sins, which is huge. It manifests in healing, which is huge. It manifests in miraculous interventions of God in our life, which is huge, many-sided, many-sided varieties. It includes the new life of Christ we have now. It includes exercising authority over demonic powers. Many-sided. Kicking them out and casting them out. It includes the manifestations of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Access to God. This is huge. So that his presence in us is revealed. The kingdom of God is not words only. It's a manifestation of the presence of God in you and the power of God in you. God wants the world to see it. He wants to teach those demons a lesson. So that in his name you kick them out. Let's see some examples of how this worked in lives of people. People who have come to believe in whose life this, this, this glory is being revealed. This wisdom of God executed in Christ for mankind is being revealed. And demons are shaking. First Peter 3. The new life. Look at that. Likewise, you, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. Say, no, I Pastor. <laughs> God will help us. Being subjected to your own husbands. That. God is giving reason. Why? Because you have his life. You have this life that is made itself nothing. Whose nature is humble. It's not pride. You have a new life. You can do it. You have a new strength. You couldn't do it before, but now you can. That if any obey not the word, they also may be, without the word, be won by the conversation of your word. He said, display my glory. This is my wisdom now. Many varieties. This is one of them. All those things, holding down my 
show them my glory, they, they succumb. Let the light out of you shine in that darkness. They will not comprehend it. Love him in spite of what he's doing. Let my love come out of you. It's powerful. It doesn't fail. God is love. Anything done in love is done in God. Love him. Love your enemies. Do good to them. You say, no, pass it. You know, pass it. It's short. Pass it because you're fat. Pass it. You don't even understand half the story. I don't have to understand half the story. But God understands all the story. And God knows you are rebellious too. God says, if you do this, you don't have to preach. That by wisdom that I executed in Christ, by giving you a new life, we, they will see it. I want to show it to them. What will be the result? They will come to me. Verse 2. Why they behold your chest conversation coupled with fear, honoring God, whose adorning, let it not be the outward adorning of plating of hair, wearing of gold, or plating of apparel. This is what people read. They say, take off your earring. That's what it's talking about. That's not what it's talking about for God's sake. Then, okay, apparel is cloth. Does it mean you don't wear cloth? That's not what it's talking about. What it's talking about is the inner beauty of the inner life he gave you. The light in you. That that should be your primary beauty, not the outside one. We spend hours go to do hair. I don't know how long they stay. Thank God for my baba. It's 10 minutes, 55. Sometimes less than 10 minutes, we're done. And they come cheap. But we spend a lot of time on the outside, spend money, tons of money. We, <laughs> For, but let it be the hidden man of the heart, the new man, the spirit, the new life, the new life you have, the new you that is created to be like God. In that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek, he said meekness is ornament. It is ornament and quiet spirit, which in the sight of God is great of great pride. All, all the gold you wear and all the gala you wear is of no price to God. Zero. It amounts to zero. God doesn't even see it. All he's looking at, he doesn't look like men. He sees the inside. So why wasting time trying to impress? God is not impressed by outside. He's impressed by inside. But you are, if your inside is good, you will dress decently to honor him. Now. This one example, what is saying the purpose of all of this is that I want to show this world with all the demonic spirit controlling this world, my variety of wisdom and wiser than them in what I've done to you, for you in Christ. So you can live a higher life of my glory, where I placed you to sit with Christ. So you don't live the low life of this world. Where all they do is anger, flesh, gossip, quarrel, money, gale, good. If you see somebody wear this, you go and buy, you don't have the money. It's all low life. There's no glory in it. It will not impress this world. It's not part of his wisdom. It's not part of what he did. Acts 2 then they that gladly received this word were baptized and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls 
verse 42. We are talking about this variety of his wisdom, manifestations, privileges he gave us in Christ, treasures that we have. We just talked about treasure of the new life. Let's talk about the treasure of his spirit in you, the power that worketh in you, the anointing you have in you, what that thing can do. Verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayer. Why were they doing that? Look at verse 43. And fear came upon every soul. All the Atotogaga was just gone. Why? And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. Fear came upon them. They said, man, we don't say anything like that. God said, I want to display my many-sided wisdom, varieties, in different ways my spirit is manifesting. They, 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 they are seeing this one, they see another one, they see, they see another one, they see, they see another one. They say, oh my God, this is incredible. They, wow. I heard a story about an atheist professor who, who was writing a book against God. The daughter came back from a crusade speaking in tongues. And the man was shocked because this girl was speaking the language of his own grandmother, which he knew this girl never had. This professor sat down, and this girl was praising God in her grandmother's language, speaking in variety of his wisdom. God was demonstrating the variety of his wisdom that he gave to this girl. Treasures of heaven. It doesn't come from this earth. It's not from here. The, the earth has nothing like it. So this girl was speaking, the poor girl didn't even know it, was speaking, worshiping God, and the man said, the man was shocked. So after, the girl said, that I went to a crusade, God gave my life to Christ, and got baptized in the Holy Spirit. That atheist, on the spot, gave his life to Christ, and started writing Christian books. That's what God says, that's what I'm doing this for. That's the reason I'm doing this. So they'll see my various manifestations of my wisdom. All these principalities and power. That man was under the control of demonic spirits. He said, but they will see it. I want to bamboozle them. Let me show them what heaven has. Let the world see heaven in real time. Fear came upon every soul. <laughs> Fear came upon every. I remember once in Lagos, one woman came. They said it was the worst of them. I didn't know her. They said she was the worst of them. When she walked into the office to see me, people ran away. <laughs> I didn't know what was happening. So people ran away. And when she came, in my innocence, I didn't know anything. I was speaking to her. I said, how are you, ma? What do you want to know? Uh, I said, you know, she, I didn't see anything wrong with her. And I said, okay, ma, can we pray? So she I said, yeah. I said in Jesus' name, God is my witness. Something carried her like paper. Right before everybody. Boom on the wall. Like she slipped like snake. Palm on the wall. Palm like this. All those people who were outside came in. Came in. That's when they were looking. They said, Pastor, do you know this one? I said, I never met her before. They said, even her children run away from her. She's the watch of the bunch. I said, no. God is greater than all. The name of Jesus is bigger than all. It is demonstration of the variety of his, his wisdom. is his action. His, what he's doing to the Christian. That news went to Makoko village. And verse 12 says, verse 12 says, verse 12, let's read verse 12. 
He said, because of Christ now, and our faith in him. That's why this, this thing is given to us. We cannot come boldly and confidently into God's presence. Tell me what is more of a privilege than you having access to God's presence. You know, when we pray, we're not sure. We think we have to do this, to, you know, forget about all of that. Because of Christ and our faith in him. God says, if you put your faith in him, I will count you as righteous. It's what I did to Abraham. It's what I promised the seed. Whoever, all nations, all nations, all nations. This is the plan I'm carrying out in him. It's a mystery. But that's, what we, that's how you are saved. You put yourself in Christ. I accept you. I save you. Because of Christ. Because of Christ. Because of Christ. And our faith in him alone. Not because of 1 a.m., 3 a.m., turn seven times. Waste of time. It's totally waste of time. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. I pray that God will open our eyes to know this truth. So when you go to God and say, I come in Jesus' name, you know you are there. You are, if it, let it be in your kitchen, you are right there. In your car, right there. <laughs> you are right, Lord, thank you. I'm in your presence. I've come because of Jesus. I put my faith in him. I come in his name. Jesus said, go in my name. It's my faith in me that brings you to that assistance. So verse 13. Say, so please don't lose out because of my trials here. I'm suffering for you, so you should feel honored. Paul said, Don't worry about the persecutions I'm passing through. Because this thing is important for you. I don't mind what I suffer to make sure that I teach you this, you understand it. So that God will, so through you, God will take glory too. Say so he began to pray this powerful prayer for the church from verses 14 to 21. I'm going to read it, and then we'll talk about it. I'm not sure we'll get to chapter 4, but it's okay. If we finish chapter 3, it's okay. Next Thursday, we'll continue. So let me, let me read this powerful prayer right here. When I think all of this, all of this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father. That's what he started in, in, in verse 1, though. In verse 1, verse 1, chapter 3, verse 1. He started, he, verse 3, Chapter 3, verse 1, stopped. Boom. Then continued in verse 13. Let me go back there. He said, he says in, 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 in verse 1, when I think of all of this, then he started to talk about I Paul, a prisoner of Christ, Jesus, and for the benefit of you, Jesus. So he started to talk about his ministry and things. But now in verse 13, he continued that statement he started. When I think of all of this, verse 13. Let's go back to verse 13 now. Verse 13. I mean verse 14. Verse 14. When I think of all of this. So you see, he started that sentence. He made some other thoughts. And then comes back to it in verse 14. When I think of all of this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father. The creator of everything in heaven. 
and on earth. And I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his See the kind of prayer that the Bible gave us to learn from and pray. You will hear it. Do we even know he's there? I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Through his spirit. What does this empowerment achieve in your life? Verse 17. Then Christ will make his home in your heart as you trust him. This empowerment of the Holy Spirit will bring you a revelation of the presence of Christ in your life. He will become real. Revealed mystery. Your roots will now grow down into God's love and keep you strong. You will see what God did for you in Christ. The love he demonstrated for you. The spirit of God will empower you to know it. They will keep you strong. Verse 18. And may you have the power. Another word. Again, power. May you have the power to understand. Now without revelation, you won't understand it. That's what he's praying about. This plan for you, endless treasures for you, all these things he's talking about, he said, may you have the power to understand as all God's people should, how wide. Remember, his love is endless for you. His power is endless. Unlimited resources. He said, now, may you, may you have the power to understand as all God's people should understand how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is. Endless. It's eternal. God is love. So God is love. God is endless. Love is endless. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand it fully. Then, it's only then. That's why he's praying this prayer. It's only then when the power of the Spirit has given you the revelation of this love that passes human understanding that you can't understand with your natural brain. And the Holy Spirit begins to show you the wonders of his grace, the wonders of his mercy, the wonders of his goodness, the wonders of God, a revelation of God. He gives you a revelation of Christ in you with his glory, with all the power that walketh in you, the power that is greater than everything in this world, everything, everything. He said, then you can be rooted and be strong. Then he will to reveal to you his love. He says, it's only then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. You see why he's praying this type of prayer? See why you should pray this prayer for yourself and pray it for your children. See why the devil won't let you see it, hide it from you. Then you'll be made complete with the fullness of life and power that comes from God alone. What's he talking about? The full, 
It's a day you can embrace the fullness of Christ. Because now you know he's in you. Now you know his love. God is love. So you can embrace the fullness of God. Embrace all those riches that all those riches that are yours. You can now embrace them. No guilt, nothing. You, embrace, you take them as yours and begin to manifest them without fear. Perfect love casts out fear. There's no fear. Your faith will be rooted in him. It's in Christ that the fullness of God dwells. When you have the fullness of Christ, you have the fullness of God. And that's why the Bible says we are completing him. Look at Colossians 1.19. For it pleased the Father that in him should the all fullness dwell. So when you have the fullness of Christ, knowing he lives in you, you're not wondering where he is. Knowing he loves you and you understand his love, then you can embrace him in all totality. Embrace everything he gives you. The life he gives you. The power he gives you. Access to God he gives you. The healing he gives you. All, the, all his fullness. You will embrace it without fear. The Bible says that God has performed this mercy which he promised our fathers that we being delivered from our enemies and the hands of all that hate us, that we'll serve him without fear all the days of our life in holiness and righteousness. When you embrace Christ, you embrace the totality of everything he planned for you in him. Colossians 2 9 says, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of God his bodily, and you are complete in him, which is the head of all principalities and powers. Look at how knowing the love of God transforms you. First John 3. First John 3. See how. Yeah, First John 3. First John 1 verse 3. First John 1 verse 3. Yeah. See how very much our Father loves us. He calls us his children. And that is what we are. He says, see how very much our Father loves us. Let me ask the question. Have you ever seen the love of God simply because he calls you his child? Do you have a revelation of the love of God because you are his child? This writer says, I have seen how much God loves me by calling me his child. That's what he's talking about. It's the Holy Spirit that revealed these things to you. Then he continued. He said, but the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children. But a lot of Christians don't even believe they are God's children. So they are trying to be God's children. You don't have to. You are already. People who don't recognize that, they think we, we are not God. Well, they, they don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. Their friends, we are already God's children. You don't have to earn it, do anything. You are already a child of God. God made you his child when you believed in Christ Jesus. That he brought you into a place where you can enjoy his endless treasures. A member of his family. Have access to him. Dear friends, we are already God's children. But he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him. For we shall see him as he really is. First John 4, 9. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might 
have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. You stay begging him. <laughs> Your sin has been taken away. Why should you know the love of God? What you think is what you do that makes God take away your sin. You can't love him. But when you realize it is messy, you fall in love with him. You don't marry this. You're like, oh my God, he gave me this? Faith John 4, 16. And we have known. This is the testimony of the first church. And we have known and believe the love that God has for us. We know it. We believe it. God is love. And he that dwelt in love dwelt in God and God in him. Let me read New Living Translation for this. It says, we know how much God loves us. Paul is praying that the Spirit of God will strengthen us to know this love. It's by revelation, people. It's by revelation. A passage you might understand. You can talk about it, you may not know it. You, you know you can talk about Jesus, but you may not know Jesus. You know, people can talk about Pastor Chinid. I remember one man went to Pastor Fashat. He said, he said who is Pastor Chinid? He said, what, what are you asking? He said, God told me to follow him. He said, I don't know him. You see, he's talking about Pastor Chinid. He doesn't know me. Oh, he says, my pastor. He said, okay, fine. If you say a pastor, let me follow you now. Real story. This is in Lagos. And I'm here. He, you can talk about Christ. You can talk about God, but you may not know him. You can talk about God's love, you may not know it. So God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. I read it, so we're reading the testimony of uh, the, the early church. 1 John 4, 16, New Living Translation. We know how much God loved us, and we have put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God. God lives in them. Have you, if you know it, then you can put your trust in his love. You can put your faith in his mercy. Because it's of the lost mercy we are not consumed, and the mercy of God does not end. The, the love of God does not fail. Where do you put your faith? In your rituals? No. We put our faith, the love of God, in Christ. So Paul was praying this prayer. Praying this powerful prayer. Creator of everything in heaven and earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your heart as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should understand, how wide and how long, long and how high and how deep his love is. 19. May you experience the love of Christ. May you experience the love of Christ. Though it is too great to understand fully, then you will be able to complete, to, to, you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now, all the glory to God, who is able through his mighty power 
at work within us, talking about this power within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So we're done with chapter 3. We're going to go to chapter 4 next week. But chapter 4 has connection with chapter 3 because what Paul did in chapter 4 is that after talking about the gospel in chapters 1, 2, 3, in chapter 4, he began to talk about the life of the Christian because of what he's been teaching. He began to bring it in practical form, the new life we have. He began to talk to the Christian and say, because of the foregoing, this is your new life and this is the way you should be living it. That's what chapter 4 is. So by the grace of God, we'll go there next Thursday. Let us pray. Precious Father, we just want to thank you again for teaching us. You know, Lord, except we're here, we don't know. Cornelius said to Peter, we are here and we are ready to hear you. And the Holy Spirit fell on them. Except we are ready to hear you. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Lord, I commit every person that this word is sent to into your hand. That will cause it to enter our hearts and bear fruit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.